Well, good morning, family. A nice light story to get us started this morning. What would you do for God if you knew you had the resources, you knew you had his blessing, and you knew you could not fail? What would you do for God if you knew you had the resources, you had his blessing, and you knew you could not fail? If you got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 25. We're in the later chapters of Matthew when it comes to the text we're going over today. And we're getting closer to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we know from the chapter before that Jesus is hanging out with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And uh, his disciples are asking him one question in particular. They say, Jesus, you keep talking about how you are going away and then how someday you will return. So tell us, what is it going to look like when you return? And so Jesus tells them a series of stories or parables and uh, to, to describe what it's going to look like when the master returns, but also what to do while we wait for the master to return. Now, he tells these stories, parables they're called. They're made-up stories. And the idea of a parable is that you would learn something within the story and also that you would see yourself somewhere within the story. Now, maybe somebody's tried this out on you before. They wanted you to learn something. They wanted you to see yourself in the story. Maybe uh, your wife says to you, Honey, have you heard the story about the husband who told his wife that he did not like her new haircut? Have you heard? He's dead now. I mean, have you heard that story? Or maybe you've tried this out on your children. And maybe you've told, you know, you know, sweetie, have you heard the story about the beautiful princess that lived in the beautiful castle and had a beautiful pony? And she was snotty to her mom and dad one day. And the pony's dead now. I mean, may, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't share that one. Um, but I think that's funny. Um, the idea is that there's, some, there's a strong lesson to be learned. And there's some rays of hope. And so this morning, I'm going to ask that you hang with me a little bit, because it's going to be some strong lessons to be learned. But there are some rays of hope. And so Jesus tells this story about the master. And if you haven't figured it out, Jesus is the master in this story, okay? And he entrusts uh, his possessions, his money. It's in trust because it's his. He gives it to three of his servants. And to one, he gives five talents, which a talent is simply uh, a weight of, of money. And he gives one five talents, the other one two talents, and another guy one talent. And we read, read about how the guy with five talents and two talents, they go off and they double the money that they've been entrusted with. And, and then there's the one guy. And even as the audience is listening to Jesus tell this story, and they hear the part about the guy with one talent, how he goes off and buries the talent in the sand. I mean, the audience even then is going, ooh, yeah, that's not a good idea. That's not going to work out well for that guy. I mean, nobody wants to be that guy. But what if we're that guy? You see, I think there are moments in each and every one of our lives where we're that guy. Where God has given us good gifts, and instead of using them for his work, we simply go off and bury it in the sand. Do we ever bury our Christian life in the sand? And you say, well, Tom, I'm here. 
<laughs> I showed up to church. It is the Lord's day. You know, I dressed up and everything. And, and, and we'll do that. I mean, we'll put on the uniform, we'll put on the equipment, and we'll show up. And we can't wait to sit the bench. Sometimes we do that. And you say, well, Tom, that's kind of harsh. I mean, the guy, he buried it. It wasn't like he took the money, stole it, you know, hired a prostitute, you know, did some drugs. I mean, he didn't cheat or gamble it away. I mean, he didn't use it to go and perpetuate sin. And, but sometimes doing nothing is the sin. Do we do that? It's a harsh story for us to kind of learn something. And you may say, well, Tom, you don't understand my situation. If only you knew what I was dealing with here. If my situation was different, if, 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 if. You see, I think that's what the guy with one talent does in the story. And I want to just talk about some of those what ifs this morning. So let's talk about one if, what if in particular. What if you see yourself as the one talent guy? What if you don't have a lot? In, in other words, we all wish we could have more. We, we all, it's natural. We wish we had more money. We wish we had more time. We wish we had more prestige. I wish I could dunk on a basketball hoop that was taller than seven feet. I mean, I wish I was a baller. I wish it was, okay. um, the, the, only like 5% of you got that joke. That's good. A little bit tall. Okay. Um, and it's natural for us to wish. In fact, we kind of have this idea that goes along with it. If I had more, then I would do more. So the reason I'm not doing more is because I don't have a lot. So if I had more, if God gave me more, I would do more. Do you know how much a talent is worth? It was a weight, a measurement of gold in particular. And if you were to take one talent and put it in U.S. monetary standards... One talent today would be worth $660,000. $660,000. I don't know about you, but my net worth doesn't even come close to that. God's lowest example in his story is still greater than how we often calculate what God has given to us. We will continually underestimate the blessings that God has poured into our lives for us to use for his work. God gives you more than you know. He does. God gives, what if I don't have a lot? Let me just tell you, God gives you more than you know. It may not just be money. It it may be skills, abilities, family, connections, social positions, education, experiences. In fact, what resource do you have that was not at some point or another a good gift from God? The other day I was uh, riding bikes with my three-year-old daughter, Avery, and she, she has uh, upgraded from the tricycle. We're now at the bicycle with the uh, training wheels. And, uh, and we're riding down the sidewalk, and I'm following her on my bike. And, and uh, Avery, all of a sudden, she turns into this gated community. And so we go into the gated community, and we start riding our bikes around and and as we're going down the sidewalk, I'll just tell you, I start looking to the left, to the right, and I'm just in awe at these houses I'm seeing. Mansions is really what, what they are. And, uh, and I'm just thinking, you know, as I'm looking at each one, as we go past each one, wow, you know, how much, how expensive was that home? Or how long does it take to mow that lawn? Or, 
you know, the, and then I start what most of us do, the art of comparison. I start thinking like, wow, that's a big house. That's, that's bigger than our house. And maybe I should start working on getting us a bigger house. You know, it may, maybe, maybe I should try to get more square footage for my daughter to run around in or Am I somehow less of a father or less of a person if I am not providing that? I mean, it obviously exists out there. And we pull the bikes out of the gated community, and we're still riding down the sidewalk, heading home. And all of a sudden, Avery just stops her bike. And she just points and starts laughing her head off. There's a squirrel. He's just kind of scurrying around, and then he runs up a tree, and she thinks that's the funniest thing ever. And, And she hops on her bike. We start riding further. And she stops again. And she walks over into the weeds and she pulls out a flower. And she's got the biggest smile on her face. And she hops back on her bike, just grinning from ear to ear at this newfound treasure that she's bringing home. And it hit me in that moment. I can get so lost thinking about what her earthly father can provide when her heavenly father has already given her what she needs. How many times do we underestimate the value of what God has given us, the good gifts he has given us? And you may look in the story and say, well, I'm that one talent person. I don't have a lot. Let me just tell you right now, you're not. You're at least the two talent person. You are. Because there will always be somebody who has more and there will always be somebody who has less. And the point is not how much you have. The point is what you do with what you have been given. It's not what you have, but what you do with what you've been given. And the point is God entrusts his good, his good gifts to you to use for his purposes. And if you want more, then start with the small things. If you look in your text, verse 21 of the story, the master's replying to, to one of the good servants where he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. That's just good business. That's some good business wisdom from the Bible. In other words, if you're a businessman or woman and you've got a project that you need to give to somebody, you give it to the person who's already doing a lot. Because the idea is they're obviously a good manager of themselves and they can manage even more. You don't give the project to the person who's always complaining they have too much to do and is never even getting that done. See, but you give it to the person who can manage well. And so you you want to... To start somewhere, start with the small things. If you've been given eyes, maybe start reading the Bible. If you've been given ears, maybe it's time to start listening to the needs of your community that God has placed around you and placed you within. If you've got hands, maybe it's time to start looking for a place to serve and use them for the kingdom of God to bless others. If he has given you a mouth, maybe it's time to use it to share what God has been doing in your life we got to start somewhere. And if you don't know where to start, start with the small things. Verse 15 in the story lets us know that the master gave the amount of talents, each according to his ability. In other words, the master knows his servants well. He knows what they are capable of, or else he would not have entrusted them to do the work in the first place. He knows his servants well. But how well do they know him? Which brings us to our next what if. What if I have a good excuse? 
What if it's someone or something else's fault? In other words, I would do so much more for God if it wasn't for this person. They're always getting in my way. They're always ruining my day. They're always taking up my life. Or, or maybe in the past they hurt me and I'm already working at a deficit. Or we'll go, if my situation was just a better situation, then I would do so much more for God. You see, some of us, we're, some of us are still waiting for the right circumstances. In other words, we'll say things like, I'll be a better employee as soon as I get that better job. Or I'll, I'll be a better leader when things start to go my way. Or I'll be a better Christian when my schedule clears up. In verse 24, we see what the guy with one talent says. He says, uh, then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. In other words, what the guy is telling the master, really, it's your fault. You put me in a high-pressure situation. You're a really tough guy to work with. And anybody else in my situation would do exactly what I did. They would have buried the treasure. Really, it's your fault. You put me in this circumstance, and you're a really tough master. I mean, some of us are still waiting for a person to be a better person in our story. To make our situation a better situation. We'll say things like, I'll be a better employee when my boss is a better human being. Or I'll be a better husband when my wife starts focusing on my needs. Or, or I'll be a better parent when my kids start listening to me. And it's a bold move to put the blame back on the master. <laughs> that one never works out so well. But people do it. You know Why? Because they don't really know the master. Now, we think we know the master. In fact, we think at times in our life, we've got the master pegged. In fact, do you know what the number one growing religion is right now in the United States? It's not Mormonism. It's not Islam. It's not Jehovah's Witness. It's, not one of those. it's actually a term you probably haven't heard of before, but you'll probably recognize it as I talk about it. It's this term, moralistic, therapeutic deism. It appears in the book Soul Searching by Christian Smith where he interviews thousands of Americans and, and observes this growing religion among Americans. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic. As long as I'm a good person. Therapeutic. As long as it feels good to me. Deism. God exists, but he is distant and he doesn't really care about my day-to-day -day decisions. In other words, we can do whatever we want with the gifts because as long as I'm a good person, that's okay. As long as it feels good to me, that's okay. And the master really doesn't care because he's off and gone and doesn't really care about my day-to-day -day decisions. And as we get to know the master through Scripture, we find out that's not the master. Good people don't go to heaven. People who know the master do. Following Jesus does not always feel good. In fact, he tells us over and over that we will suffer if we follow him. And God is not distant. He is so near and so here and so caring and so loving that he cares so much about each decision that we make. 
But we have people who think, and even ourselves sometimes, we think that we've got the master pegged, and we've got people who are following Jesus, but they're not really following Jesus. You can be with Jesus and still not be with Jesus. Case in point, Judas. Judas, everybody looked at Judas and goes, oh yeah, he's with Jesus. He's totally into what Jesus is talking about. He's one of his disciples. But we all know the rest of the story. He was not with Jesus. He thought he had him pegged. He liked some of the stuff he did, some of the stuff he said, but he wasn't really following where Jesus was going. We can be with Jesus and still not be with Jesus. The master, I think it's interesting in the story, he does not attempt to debate the man. If you see it in verse 26, the master replied, I'm sorry, the right verse there? Yep, I did, sorry. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. And notice there's a question mark in the text. He's not agreeing with the man. He's just playing by his logic. He says, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In other words, he's going, even in your excuse, you have no excuse. (laughs) Hear this. God gives you the mission to bring it to fruition. God is telling the guy with one talent, he's saying, look, I gave you the mission. I don't care if it was difficult. Some of the best things in life have a path to them that is difficult. Man up. Put on your big girl pants. Take responsibility and do something with what you have been given. Notice. The other two servants, they feel the weight of the responsibility. And it does not tell us in the story how they doubled the money. You notice that? You know why? Because there's so many ways to honor God. There's so many different ways to take what God has put into you and bless the kingdom of God, expand his kingdom, bless others, work for the favor of the master. He leaves it up to freedom and fun, to choose how to please the master, how to invest what he has invested into us. You see, the reality is you have no excuse. And if you know the master, when has Jesus ever used an excuse? Try and find it. We don't have an excuse, but we do have a choice. We can decide to be the better leader no matter where we are on the org chart. We can decide to be the better spouse or parent no matter the circumstances or the other people that are involved. And you can say, Tom, that's great and all, but what if I fail? What if I try something, to do something for God, and I end up failing miserably? Let's just say the rest of the story goes like this. The guy with one talent, he tries this crazy idea to to invest the money, and he ends up losing half of it. Let's say the master returns, and there's the guy, he had one talent, but now all he has is $330,000 left of the master's money. What happens then? Would it have been better for him to bury the money than it would be to lose some of the master's investment? Well, the thing we do know is what happens when you bury it. Look at verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Let's skip to verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has ten bags. 
For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know of a worse punishment than being permanently separated from the master. Getting kicked out of the party. That would be hell. It is better if we try and fail than not try at all. It's never safe to play it safe. You've seen the people at work get fired for never taking a risk. And you could say, but he was afraid. Most of us are. Being paralyzed by the fear of failure then just becomes our failure. And if he knew the master, he would know that even in our failure, we cannot fail. God does some of his best work with our failures. It was last Saturday that I had a brilliant idea for our family. Um, I decided we should take a hike, and we, so we decided to do a hike that, that I had taken several times before with, with my boys, my two boys. Uh, we call it our man hike, and uh, we go over to um, Brooker Creek, and there's several preserves, and there's several um, trails over there, and, uh, and you know, any, every chump can do the half-hour trail. We do the manly hour-long trail, and, uh, and I give each one of my boys a pocket knife and an army-issue canteen, and we go on the man hike. And uh, this, this Saturday, we decided, well, why don't we invite the girls to come in our family to come along the man hike, uh, their mom and their, their little sister, Avery. And so I, I think we have a picture. Avery picked out um, her outfit for the man hike. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, I think we have another picture. They prepared. They, they got their, their backpacks. And, um, and she's got her, you know, Minnie Mouse backpack, which... Don't be fooled. I did open it up before we went on. It was filled with baseballs and nunchucks. So it's just how she rolls. It's how you never know. So we're having fun. We're going on the man hike as a family. And, uh, and, and as we're going down the trail, we notice, we, we see like snakes and lizards and all sorts of good, cool stuff. And, um, but we notice that the, uh, the trail's starting to get muddy. And that's fine. We just go on further. But then that mud starting to turn into puddles, which is fine. We just kind of hop the puddles and move on. And then the puddles turn into swamp. <laughs> and this is the point in time I turn to my wife and I assure her that, look, if we just get past the swamp, we'll, we'll go from log to log, trunk to trunk. I see a dry part at the end. It'll get better, I promise. And, and so that's what we do. In fact, I think we have a picture as we're swinging kids from... Trunk to trunk, they thought it was fun. Um, and, and so we do. We make it past the swampy area, and we get to dry ground, and we're cheering. We're, you know, all our shoes are dry. We're dry. We're fine. We made it. We did it. And, and we turn the corner to go on the next part of the trail, and it is all swamp. And that would be the time I should think to turn around, but I assure my wife again, Look, it's, it can't be like that the whole part of this trail. We can do this. And so we start going through. And as we go through, uh, at each point, some, each member of the family has fallen into the water, no longer have dry shoes. We, we are all bit up by mosquitoes and cut up by the plants. And, 
We get about halfway through, and I realize it's not getting any better, and it's time to turn around. And so we do, and, uh, and we go back to that swampy area that we're jumping, you know, trunk to trunk, except this time we're just stomping through because we don't care anymore. <laughs> Our shoes are wet. It's terrible. And uh, finally, it's way over an hour, we make it back to the car. And we give a half cheer because we're still alive. And, uh, and we hop in the car and we decide we'll stop out. There's a fruit stand that's there on the way home and tell the kids they can each pick out fruit, which I've realized your kids are never more interested in fruit than when they've been, you know, trailing through a swamp for an hour. So anything looked good and they ate a, got a bunch of fruit. We got some boiled peanuts because we like that too. And we go home and we eat the fruit and the boiled peanuts, all of it. And then we eat some lunch on top of that because we're starving. And I don't know who started it, but it was one of the kids. One of them started laughing. And then another one started laughing. And then we all started laughing. And we started talking about that ridiculous hike we just went on and barely survived. And I watched at that moment one of my big plans and failures turn into a story, a story we will laugh about for years to come. The master loves to take our failed plans and turn them into something beautiful. We have a master who loves to take our failed attempts and do some of his best work. We have a master who loves to take our failures and use them to teach us. He loves to take our failures and he uses them to qualify us. See, we think it disqualifies us somehow. But look at the stories where God comes to to a guy named Moses say, Hey, Moses, the way you tried it didn't work. Now how, how about we try it my way and deliver out my nation out of Egypt? We have a master who goes to David, a guy who had moral failures, adultery, murder. And he goes, David, if you're, you're now humble enough that we can make Israel the greatest nation in the known world. We have a master who looks at Peter, a guy who denied that he even knew Jesus publicly. And Jesus sits beside him and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And the master says, now that you know what love is, now we can build my church. God takes our failures and he uses them to qualify us for the task. God takes our failures and he uses them to love us. Here's the truth of the matter. When you're working for God, you cannot fail. God takes risks on us all the time and he expects us to take risks on him. Verse 23, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Notice that the reward is is the same for the guy with the two talents and the guy with the five talents. They're not working for monetary gain. They are working for the favor of the master and to be invited into his happiness. They get an invitation to the party. And notice they get an invitation not because they're super smart or they're really successful. They get the invitation because they are good and they are faithful. What would you do for the master 
if you knew you had the resources, you knew you had his blessing upon you, and you knew you could not fail. Verse 16 says this, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. Let me read that again. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once. Why did he go at once? Because he knew the answer to the question. He knew that when you're working for the master, there are no, there's no shortage of resources. That you have upon you the blessing and the expectation of the master. And that if you are working for the master, you cannot fail. He owns it all anyway. And when it's all wiped away, he's still there standing and he's winning. And if you know the master, then all you have waiting for you is impending victory. So what are you waiting for? The guy with five talents went at once because he knew the answer to the question. He knew what you do while you wait for the master to return. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Go, do the work of the master, good and faithful servant.